It's that time again when people all over the world get together with their extended families to keep their Christmas traditions going for another year. We gather all together, we wait until midnight, and then we go to the church and we wait for the birth of the bambinello, you know, the little child. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. In the hour ahead, we'll hear about the special touches people give to the holidays in different corners of the world. From Sicily to Santa Fe to Budapest. There's always a reason to celebrate something. And Edinburgh, where there's a tradition to leave out a little something extra on Christmas Eve for the old man. I was brought up always to leave a wee dram for Santa as well, because you needed a wee whiskey to get him over the North Pole. While in Antarctica, summer in December means the sun doesn't set on the party. You can enjoy your bourbon or your scotch or your gin over glacial ice that is tens of thousands of years old. There's a warm seat in our sleigh for you, so come along for a delightfully international Christmas ride. It's Travel with Rick Steves. We're having a Christmas party, international style, today on Travel with Rick Steves. Hi, I'm Rick Steves, and I've invited some of my friends from around the globe to join us to tell us how they celebrate the holidays where they live. And while the main characters of the holiday are pretty much the same the world over, you might be surprised who's in the extended family of baby Jesus in some countries. Thanks for being part of our extended family for an international Christmas celebration on Travel with Rick Steves. Martin Delandovitz, a friend and fellow tour guide from northern Wales, has joined us to talk about the holiday season in that corner of Britain. Martin, when you think about Christmas time in Wales, is this a uh, small town, conservative, you know, yes. homey? Is there, uh, are the churches full during Christmas time? Yes, if, if at any time of year. You see, Wales always has been and still is in terms of Britain. When we talk about England, Scotland and Wales comprising Britain, uh, Wales is still the most uh, religious part of Britain. People, the greatest percentage of the population still attend places of worship. What is unique about a family Christmas celebration in Wales? How would that be different from in England, for instance? Well, the first thing, I come from Gwynedd, I come from the, the west of Wales and uh, northwest of Wales. The, the first thing to say is that, that, that Welsh is the language. Therefore, if you go to a, a midnight service or if you were to go to, to any other service, the, the service is almost certainly, unless specifically otherwise, it's in Welsh. And so the hymns, the carols that are sung there are in Welsh. And, and that is a, a, a real difference. Sing me a classic Christmas carol where I'd recognize the melody, but in Welsh, okay? Right. Now, it's, it's strictly not a carol, but it's uh, internationally known, you know. Let's hear a little bit um, of it in Welsh. Oer your gwrs in methu cari, fa la 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 Heaven of oedd an wil Cymru, fa la 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 Iddo efa cair cynhesaf, fa la 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 Gwylia llawen flwydd un nesaf, fa la 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 Whoa, I should have known. A Welshman will sing at the, dry, at the smallest uh, opportunity. Hey, that's wonderful. Now, was that literally Deck the Halls? No, you see, this is it. It's not specifically... Okay. A uh, Christmas carol. It's it's it's, it's winter. Uh, the, the first two lines, Oer your your gorse in methy carry, hen the nether than will cumry. Cold is the man who cannot love the hills of Wales. Okay, so this is a a holiday appreciation in the winter of Wales. But give me a Christmas carol, actually, just a few lines in Welsh, if you can. Just. Um, Ar gyfer heddiw boren faban bach, faban bach, y ganwyd greiddyn jesyn faban bach, y cadam ddaeth o bosra, ddeddfwr gynt ar seinar, y iawn gaid yn galfarian faban bach, faban bach, yn signo bron mar aia faban bach. And what did we just hear? Uh, it's uh, an old song which is sung usually at a service called Plugain, which is peculiarly Welsh. And um, it's Agava Hedubare. Uh, because today is the morning on which the, the root of Jesse was born, you get these people coming from Bosra, from China, 
And by his birth on that morning, Christ was tied to his fate on Calvary. Well, and and the, the bit that I like best. Foreshadowing Calvary on yes, Christmas. Yes. In his birth, he was wow. tied to death. Well, feeding on the breast of Mary, which I think is a lovely touch. Yeah. And so you've got your, if I can just picture a small town in Wales where everybody's uh, sort of spilled into the church. Mm. And it is. So Plugine is a funny service. It's held somewhere between three o'clock and six o'clock in the morning on Christmas morning. Really? And it's a leftover from pre-Reformation times. You know, Henry VIII reforming the church in the 1500s. Well, it's neither midnight mass nor is it morning service with communion. It's fitted in between. In between, so yeah. people lose a night's sleep. That's right. Because anybody who goes to that service is going to go to the midnight mass. Absolutely. And the Christmas morning. Well, they might do, or they may just do plug in. And what people do is they hang around in different parts of Wales. They have different things they do. They might just play around in the streets, or they might join and make taffy, as they do here in America, the special yeah. toffee. But the thing about the plug in is it's sung then, and it's not organized. It may be a very short service, but you'll get up to 18, 20 different parties of people singing a carol. You can't sing a carol that's already been sung. So you must have a repertoire of at least 20. Wow. And threes and fours will come together and sing beautifully, all by candlelight. So this choral tradition in Wales is for real. It, it is for real. It's very, very strong. It's difficult to explain to people who haven't been there, and it's almost unadvertised. There, there are kitsch versions of it, like... You, you know, the romanticization of it, but it's very, very... It's in the soul. It's in it's the spirit. It's serious, yes. Yeah. And, I mean, I can tell with you, people in Wales break out into song and they break out into poetry. Yes, they do. Ireland has a little uh, wren day after Christmas. Yeah. Does, does Wales have something similar? Yeah, we have, we have hunting the wren. What is that? Uh, on, the, on the 12th night. 12th oh, night is January 6th then, right? Yeah, unless you're using the Julian calendar, in which case it's, it's the 14th or... Uh, well, whatever, like. but, but uh, Italy yeah. has the same thing. That's on, right. Uh, what form it took in Wales is people would take a live wren. Now, of course, you wouldn't so get this is, First of all, the 12th days of... This is the 12th day after when the wise men finally brought the gifts to the Christ child. Yes, as I understand Okay, it. now, so when that happens in Wales, we have the hunting of the what now? Hunting of the wren. And tell me how that plays what, out. What it was, nowadays they'd use a, a false one, but you used a real wren, and you'd take it round in a box, a caged box, and people would pay to see it and they'd look at it. And you know, the way I look at it is this. When you're going round in Wales in winter, it can be a bit bleak and a bit dismal, but the bird you always see is the wren. So and they bring the wren in the box to people who are sort of dreary and shut down by winter, and it brings a little bit of promise of life to them, and they pay some well, money to uh, take a look at it and brighten their day? Well, this is it. Winter's sleeping. Is it a, like a charity thing these days? Everybody kicks in some money? Yes, because uh, yes, yes. Because I believe in Ireland it's a charity for some good cause. Yeah, the, the money in the past would go to the party that did it, but now, of course, there'd be songs accompanying it, but, sure. the, but now the money goes to charity, yeah. I love the way that every culture celebrates the holidays a different way, and every culture has its own way to wish someone a happy Christmas and a beautiful new year. Wish me in Welsh a happy holiday. And specifically, what was that? That was Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Martin Delandovitz coming to us from Northern Wales with a little insight into a Welsh holiday season. Thanks, Martin. A turkey, a dolly shall wake up. Then a steady on the issue, Sana Shocklado, yeah. Vangeline and her horse, Sancho Cotter, and the dolly shall wake up. Only way, love. Zora O'Neill writes the Moon Handbook to New Mexico, and New Mexico has a, a distinct way of celebrating the holidays. And uh, Zora, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. Zora, you grew up in New Mexico, and you're working now as the expert on New Mexico for Moon Guidebooks. Uh, what is unique about New Mexican Christmas celebrations? Honestly, it feels a little pagan. Uh, there's tons of fire, which is fascinating. Probably the image that people know best is all the luminarias, which are the little paper bags. They're filled with sand to weight them down with a candle inside, and they give off this beautiful golden glow, and people use them to line streets and put along the edges of their roofs and their houses and things like that. So the whole cityscape in Albuquerque, Santa Fe, Taos gets dotted with these luminarias. Hmm. Uh, but it's a beautiful, beautiful scene. And then in Santa Fe, on Christmas Eve, in part of the city, they light bonfires all along the street. And people sort of walk from bonfire to bonfire, and all the galleries are open, 
It's a very sort of special Santa Fe vibe. I remember being up there once, and the kind of carols that people were singing were, for instance, you can't always get what you want. (laughs) Not the most traditional selections. Well, speaking of a special vibe, I think that's unique about New Mexico because you got this hippie culture overlaid with the Indian culture, overlaid with the Spanish colonial culture, and uh, it shows itself in different times of year. Yeah, it's great. And Christmas is when sort of everybody comes out in the street and does their thing together. At the Pueblos, um, pretty much every Pueblo has a dance on Christmas Eve. And this is one of the most amazing times to go visit a Pueblo if you have a chance. It's late at night. I remember when I was a child, I didn't appreciate this at all because it was freezing cold and had to stay up really late. And I was tired and walk a long way. And you're standing there like under the stars, blinking in the freezing cold mm. air, and you hear the drums beating from miles and miles away. So you have that almost pagan-feeling culture with the drums and the fires, but on the cover of your book, you've got uh, Christian crosses with Indian art on them. So there, right. there is that colonial Christian Mexican sort of style of Christianity also in the Indian communities. Is that right? Yes, definitely. I mean, it's very, very syncretic. I remember being at a dance a few years ago And they did Christmas Mass, and then sort of in the middle of the Mass, while the priest was talking, some of the dancers, sort of the clown figure dancers, worked their way up to the altar and sort of hustled the uh, priest off away from the front of the church, and then the dances began. So there's this almost, there's a very (laughs) conscious blending there. It's it's very smart, and it's fun to be a part of. That's all over the world. It's fun to see how uh, previous indigenous aspects of the culture would be incorporated into people's Christian rituals. And uh, that would happen even at an Indian mass in New Mexico at Christmas time then. Mm-hmm. And the Spanish villages, a lot of the old, old Spanish villages also have their own dances. One of them is the Matachinas. The fiddle music that is played at those dances is, I have some recordings of it, and occasionally when I'm feeling homesick, I listen. It's some of the most beautiful music you'll hear. Uh, there are just so many opportunities, especially around Christmas, to stumble across amazing things in the dark with the fire. I'm speaking with Zora O'Neill, who writes the Moon Handbook to New Mexico. And Zora, you grew up in New Mexico. When you think back to your childhood, what sort of edible memories do you have of Christmas? (laughs) I have one very specific memory. One time we were at the Taos Pueblo at the governor's house, which sounds fancy, but it's not. It's just one of the little houses in the center of the Pueblo, one of the old mud brick houses. And there was this huge spread, and it was sort of an open house. We could all sort of run in and out, and I was maybe like six. And I remember being totally transfixed with this bowl of little spiced gumdrops because I, as a child of hippies, did not get sugar. So it's funny, like Christmas in New Mexico, spicy gumdrops. But I think (laughs) other people have some broader associations There are tamales. People go crazy making tamales around Christmas because it's a very festive thing. When you make them, you get all your friends together. You make a huge batch of them, and then you have a party, and you give some of them away. So tamales are especially delicious around then. And any time of year, if if you want to mix your chili peppers, what what can you say? If you want green and red? Ah, you say, I'd like Christmas to your server at the restaurant. It's very handy. So, you know, even if you're missing Christmas, you can still have a little bit of it on your plate all year round in New Mexico. And even if you're a red chili person most of the year at Christmas, you can say, I'd like it. Exactly. Christmasy, red and green. <laughs> Zora O'Neill, thanks so much for giving us a, an insight into New Mexico and best wishes with your work as the author of The Moon Guide to New Mexico. Thank you so much. And Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad. Ah. More on Christmas traditions in Europe are just ahead on Travel with Rick Steves.
I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves, and we're exploring the holidays in different cultures. I'm joined now by Tommaso Pante and Alfio Di Mauro from Sicily. Thanks for joining me, Tommaso and Alfio. Thank you, Rick. Now it's Christmas time, and all of America is excited about the holidays, and every country celebrates the holidays differently. How is Sicily distinctive in its celebration of the holidays? You know, we really enjoy Christmas time in Sicily because we have this big, never-ending lunches and dinners. Of course, the dinner on Christmas night is very important. But I must say also that Christmas is a little bit different in Sicily than the rest of Italy. Right now, of course, it is changing. But I remember when I was a kid, the big day for a kid, it wasn't Christmas at all. You didn't get almost any kind of gift for Christmas, and neither for the Epiphany, which was a big deal until a few years ago in the rest of Italy. We were getting our gift during the nights of All Saints Day. All Saints Day, that's November 1st, right? Yes, exactly. So on, on that night, between November the 1st and November the 2nd, according to tradition, all of the dead relatives in your family were coming to the house and leaving a lot, dozen of gifts. Small gifts, but, you know, very interesting gifts. All the dead relatives coming back and giving yeah. gifts? Yes, and they were if hiding. If you were good. If you were good. If you were good. And, and they were hiding them all over the house. When I was a kid, it was I was waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning, at 4 o'clock in the morning on the on November the 2nd, on the 2nd, just to start this crazy research of the gift. Well, and tell me about that. You're five years old. It's it's six o'clock in the morning. Yes, and you can wait. So you try, but of course, there's your mom on the other room <laughs> that is going to hear you, or sometimes most of the gifts were hidden in your parents' bedroom. <laughs> so you couldn't just go there without, yes. without doing any noise. And it was so interesting. And there was always something left to find in a, in a closet, in another room. Now, this downstairs. is different from Italy. I don't remember this in Italy. Yes, this yes, is sir. completely different. This is completely Sicily. different because, uh, you know, they left, I mean, the death, they left, you know, toys, but in the same time, they left, you know, little cookies that we call uh, scardellini or uh, ossa di morte. In, some, in some towns close to Palermo, they call moscardine. Moscardine. So it's a kind of uh, cookies, which is very hard. Ossa like, di, what was the other one you said? Ossa, ossa di morte morto means literally bones, bones of the dead. Of bones the of the dead. dead. You yes, get little because, sweets called the bones of the yeah, dead. So yes. you mm, eat the bones yummy. of the dead in your family because <laughs> yeah. it should You're be... You're eating the bones of your dead relatives? Yes, this was no. the meaning. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course. It should be a kind of good, l- good luck. Yes. Good luck. Sorry. So Sicilian cannibalism for the holidays. Absolutely. No, of course, they are cookies. But <laughs> cookies and marzipan. Marzipan, And marzipan. Little fruit of marzipan. So that's the big festival for the children, is having all of these gifts and candies on All Saints Day. Also, and the Epiphany, the sixth. Okay, so let's get the, the calendar straight. You got November 1st and 2nd. You got St. Nicholas Day is uh, December 6th, I think, mm-hmm. St. Nicholas Day. And then you've got Christmas, the 24th and the 25th. And then Epiphany, mm-hmm. the day the the wise men brought the gifts to the, the baby gift. Jesus. Yeah. I think that's the last of the 12 days of Christmas. And yeah. in Italy, is really into Epiphany, yes. La yes. Befana. We la say, befana, la Befana, tutte le feste porta, porta via. via. Epifania, tutte le, peste, le feste porta via. That means Epiphany is the last holiday of the, the end of holiday the vacation. festivities <laughs> season. And uh, You've it had a big holiday takes season. away <laughs> all of the festivities. So it's a grand finale. Yes, we yes, have. Yes, exactly. Is the it grand a grand finale? finale? Yeah. Yes. This is what it is. The grand finale, exactly. And according to tradition, you should, because, you know, we do the Christmas tree and the nativity, you yeah. should wrap everything up after the epiphany. Uh, January 7th. January 7th. Everything, everything's yeah. gone. All of the Christmas decorations are gone. Yeah. Yes. So we begin with the Christmas decoration on the 8th of December, the day of the Immaculate, which is very important for us. Okay. And we finish the 6th. The so day we of the Immaculate, yeah, immaculate the Conception. Mary. Immaculate yeah. Conception. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So that's a couple of days after St. Nicholas's Day. December yes. 8th. So that's really when Christmas kicks into gear. Yes. Tell me about Christmas itself. It's uh, Christmas Eve, uh, Christmas Day. How in Sicily, traditionally, when you were a child, would you have celebrated that? You always have all the family members and relatives together in one house uh, to have this never-ending uh, yeah. Christmas dinner. And uh, I remember in my family, we were always rotating the house. For example, if my parents did the Christmas dinner in my house, on the next year, another relative of the family would uh, host 
So you remember and you rotate. Yes, yes we rotate. rotate. For example, if we are in our one house in Christmas, if for the New Year's Eve, we will be in the other house. Okay. This is a sort of rotation. Huge meals, of course, especially fish. We eat lots of fish for Christmas, even from New Year's Eve. Well, in the area where I live, for example, codfish. This is the most important kind of food that we have for Christmas Eve. So important, smoked salmon, shrimps. I mean, How all big the- a family gathering would this be? The immediate family, the extended family? Extended family. Always we have a party of 20 to 25 people. Yeah. This is, you We're know, the number. We're talking about 20, 30 Yes, people. this is. So we have a huge table. We gather all together. We wait until midnight, and then we go to the church about 11.30 and we wait for the birth of uh, the bambinello, you know, the, the little child. Bambinello, and that's, that would be at midnight. Would be at the, midnight the we go to the church and we huh. celebrate this. So this is uh, Christmas. In the United States, you know, Christmas Eve is when the most people go to church. Yes. So even people who don't go to church normally, most people will go to church at midnight on Christmas Eve. Yes, and if you are a kid, you don't have choice. You have to go. Yes. Otherwise, you upset mama. Yes, <laughs> Okay, so it's Christmas time, and uh, how do you say uh, Merry Christmas in Sicily? Buon Natale. Buon Natale. Mille grazie and Buon Natale. Buon Thank Natale. Thank you very much. I'm Rick Steves. We're getting all excited about Christmas, and we're going to go to Scotland just for a moment here. I have two Scottish guides with me, Anne Doig and Ken Hanley. Ken and Anne, it's, mm. you're ready to go to bed on Christmas Eve. What happened this evening, and what's going to happen tonight and tomorrow morning? Oh, well, in Scotland, you hang up your, your tartan sock, and you leave something for Santa Claus, some shortbread or some warm milk. You try and go to bed early if you're not too excited. And the next day when you waken up, hopefully your stocking will be full of lots of presents. And we tear into them right away. Unlike other countries, they have opened up their presents on Christmas Eve, but we open them up on Christmas Day. And then we have the big lunch. Presents are opened right away. And there's always a big mess and a big fuss, but it's, it's a lovely time. So the children wake up and they go and they see what... They go straight through... And, and who comes in the middle of the night? What's his Santa name? Santa Claus. It's not yes. Father Christmas or anything. No. It's Santa Claus. Santa, Santa Claus. Claus. And, and Ken Hanley, how was your relationship with Santa Claus when you were a little small child? I think it was absolutely excellent and still is, to be honest, Rick. Um, uh, my memories go back to times when, like most children... You can't even get to sleep because Santa's coming and you've put the, the milk out for the reindeers. And I was brought up always to leave a wee dram for Santa as well because you needed a wee whiskey to get him over the North Pole. And did he appreciate that? I think he did because the glass was eye empty. And the shortbread? Absolutely. God. And of course, in the morning we got down. And I'm talking in my youth, the big thing was that you had your big tartan sock and you had fruit and orange and things like that, you know. And as Anne says, you've got tore into it right away no messing in Scotland Santa Claus has been he's delivered his sack he's got his presents and it's get into them well rip through your long tartan (laughs) sock with me right now it's a long time ago you're five years old it's a great morning what's in there pull it out one by one you're getting oranges that you know that you might sound strange but for us oranges was a great thing it was a great treat an apple a banana nuts special kind of nuts and that you know, nowadays you go nuts about computers and things like that, but we went nuts about fruit and all the simplistic things. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. And it was a tartan sock. Always. Yes. Always had to be, in our house, always had to be a tartan sock. Your family tartan? Uh, yeah, or a national tartan, but at that time, usually a family tartan. Now, of course, Santa, across cultures, is a sort of a tool that parents use to keep their children nice, not naughty. I know you were always nice, but do you, do you have some <laughs> naughty friends, and what would they find in their stocking? <laughs> Santa Claus sometimes came, and there might have been a big hole in the sock, <laughs> and that was the excuse. <laughs> oh, is that right? <laughs> but I think, you know, I think children are the same the world over, and, and I think Scots are not any different. The expectation is high. And I think, you know, for that night, everybody behaves for Santa coming and everybody expects that uh, there's something nice in the tree or around the tree or in the tartan sock. Now, Anne, you said you got together with a big Christmas midday feast. Is that right? Yes, On Christmas that's right. Day, the 25th. Yes, that's right. Uh, traditionally, what would that include in Scotland? Well, it's the turkey and all the trimmings, Brussels sprouts, roast potatoes, mashed potatoes, 
roast parsnips, stuffing, chestnut stuffing, Christmas pudding with brandy sauce. And you liked the Christmas pudding in the old days when my mother used to make her Christmas pudding, she would wrap up thrapney pieces, which are worth about four cents now. But that was a big excitement if you got... Well, three pence pieces. Yes. Oh, you had three <laughs> pence coins. A, put silver, them in. a silver thrapney. Yes. Okay, yeah. yeah. And that was very lucky, wrapped up in greaseproof paper. You wouldn't be allowed Inside to do that. Inside your little Inside your pudding or something. Pudding, yes. And what about the uh, holiday uh, drink? What would the adults look forward to at holiday time? Uh, I think time? it has whiskey. to be the yeah, the whiskey. Whiskey. What's that? What's Ishkaba? Uh, means water of life. Whiskey. Ah, whiskey. Yeah. And does the mistletoe have any special <gasps> power in Scotland? Oh, Absolutely. yes. <laughs> oh, <Tell> my. <me. laughs> well, you want to get a piece of mistletoe and carry it around with you because you have to kiss the person that's under the mistletoe. That's you have it. to. Yeah. Oh, uh, <laughs> and it's legal to carry it around with you. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it's a must-have. Ken, give me your uh, best Merry Christmas in a Scottish brogue. Well, have a happy Christmas from Scotland. Or a Merry Crimble. Uh, or anything like that, but uh, in a Scottish accent in Glaswegian. Oh, gonna have a good Christmas, big man. See you. Aye, and the bairns and all. Tell all the Wayans to have a happy Christmas. Translate that for me. What did you say? Uh, it was saying, uh, well, you know, good evening, Rick, and uh, I'm wishing you a terribly Merry Christmas, and you could tell the same to the children. Say that again in Glaswegian. All the best, big man, for Glasgow. Have a happy Christmas. <laughs> you know, we're lucky in Scotland because we have these variants of the, you know, in Aberdeen they have this wonderful Dorothy thing, you know. Well, you'll be having a happy Christmas up there, aye. Santa might come if you're good. <laughs> <laughs> and a tiny wee bit more refined in Edinburgh, I think, and you'd be better than that at me. Happy Christmas for Edinburgh, you know. Yeah. Uh, so you got the Edinburgh, you got the Glasgow, you got the Aberdeen, Aberdeen yeah. 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 and all of Scotland. Well, thanks for joining us, and happy Christmas to you too also. Happy Christmas Same to you. you. Same to you, Rick, and your family. Who's the man that parents love? Santa, Santa, cause his credit cards to overload. Santa bloody claws. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're getting all excited about Christmas, and let's pretend we're in Budapest, in Hungary. I've got with me Itelka and Lavante, two guides from Budapest. What's going on in Hungary now? If you're a five-year-old kid, and you just had a great Christmas evening, you're going to bed, and what's going to happen? What happened today? What happens tonight? And what happens in the morning? Oh, very exciting. I'm sure that I'm waiting for the little Jesus, because in Hungary... Not the Santa Claus is bringing the Christmas tree. It is the little Jesus task. It is actually in the afternoon and my parents are decorating the Christmas tree. And at about five or six o'clock, when I wake up, if I am a little kid, I go into the living room and I see the decorated Christmas tree. Presents are wrapped beautifully under the Christmas tree. And of course, we open it. And we have a wonderful, big, traditional Hungarian dinner on Christmas Eve. It's important on the 24th of uh, December. After the dinner, we go to the church for the midnight service. So that's all on the 24th? Uh, that's all on the 24th, yes. And, and the, the tree is decorated uh, on secretly the from you, and then the children are brought in to see the tree? Yeah. Wow. And then it's the baby Jesus or little boy Jesus or who brings the gifts? We say that little Jesus brings the gifts and the Christmas tree because we have got Santa Claus, but the Santa Claus is coming on the 6th of December. On St. So, Nicholas Day. On St. Nicholas Day, yes. So, you know, Hungarian people love the parties and there's always a reason to celebrate something. So we celebrate on a separate day the Santa Claus. Levante, is that your experience? Yes, it is. I was just giggling. I thought it brings back wonderful <laughs> memories of me and my brother having to take walks in the afternoon so we won't see the Christmas tree being decorated because the angels or Jesus will bring the tree uh, decorated as is. Wow. So you don't see the tree. The tree is somehow, no matter how small your apartment, is hidden somewhere. And then your parents decorate it while you're either taking a nap or walk or whatever. And then when you get back, uh, you have just missed Jesus, unfortunately, or uh, the angel. And the tree is decorated and the, and the gifts are all there. <laughs> yeah. After a few years, a child will see a pattern and you'll enjoy taking that walk out. Correct. Imagine. Sure, I'll get out of the house. Absolutely. I'll be back in a little while. Make it good. <laughs> Absolutely. And then you have a big family dinner. Yes, a really big family dinner. On Christmas Eve, and what would traditionally that be? What would you be that eating? Definitely in my family and in most of the families, fish soup, 
then fish soup. fish soup, yes, uh, stuffed cabbage, for example, different kinds of mm-hmm. uh, meats. Uh, turkey is becoming popular. Traditionally, a uh, freshwater fish yeah. soup, mm-hmm. yeah, carp. Yeah. yeah, and carp. that is carp, yeah. And I know uh, you do not like the carp, but we it's love different the different kind of carp. You got a good carp it. in Hungary. Yes. And then uh, what else would uh, and the sweets and the drinks? Sweets, it's very special and always uh, homemade poppy seed or walnut roll should be on the table. What I'd like to add, too, is Christmas in Hungary is much like Thanksgiving in the U.S., yeah. meaning everything shuts down. It's it's really a, a very quiet time. All businesses are closed for two, three days. It, it really is just focusing on family. And if you're a religious family, then also, you know, the uh, Going to church Jesus. and so on. Mm-hmm. And yes. the, the rituals and the festivities are on the 24th, and then the 25th would be just a day for family to be together? Yes, correct. Or visiting uh, yeah, very close right. relatives. And children playing with the little toys that yes. Jesus brought them. Yes. 25th and 26th uh, family days. And in our family, on the 25th or on the 26th, when we are, everybody is together, definitely we play games. Board games is a must-do event at now that, Christmas. Now, that sounds like uh, what we'd call a Norman Rockwell sort of image. Yes, it uh, is a Norman Rockwell image, yes. But is it is it eroding today in this fast-paced modern world, or is there a movement in Hungary to keep the magic of Christmas this way? To keep the magic. I think everybody wants to keep it, for their kids' sake, grandkids' sake. And you kids get two great gift days, the 6th and the 24th. Yeah, that's right. And one more thing about the 6th. Every kids, even today, polish their shoes on the 6th, and put either into the window or in front of the door because Santa Claus will put the present into the clean shoes. You have to clean your shoes. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Not stockings. You actually put shoes yeah, out. Yeah, shoes. That's right. And what a wonderful boy who has big feet. <laughs> oh, he gets a lot of presents. <laughs> All right. Hey, is there any children's songs that are classic Christmas songs that, that the kids would sing around Christmas time? There is. What would that be? Kish Karácsony, Nagy Karácsony. Okay, for example, Kish Karácsony, Nagy Karácsony. Can we sing? Sure. Kis karácsony, nagy karácsony, kisültem már a kalácsom, ha kisült már ide véle, ha tegyem meg melegében, jaj, de szép a karácsonyfa, ragyog rajta a sok gyertya, itt egy lámpa, ott egy alma, jaj, de szép a karácsonyfa. Wow. Now I want to ask you to translate that literally, but what's going on? What 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 is the lyrics? It's about little Christmas, the great Christmas, uh, basically how lovely everything is, and look at all the all the gifts and toys. The family's and the here, the tree yeah. is decorated, yeah. everybody's together. Picture. Isn't it great to be alive? And is the poppy seed roll done or not? <laughs> are the poppy seeds done, and are my shoes polished enough That's to get right. the good gifts? Merry Christmas. Thank you for sharing a little Merry bit Christmas of Hungarian Christmas. Thank you, and Merry Christmas to you. Boldog karácsonyt. Merry Christmas. Coming up, our world tour of Christmas heads south, way south, as we check in with an author who spent Christmas at the American Research Station on an icy island off the coast of Antarctica. We'll also take your calls for stories of memorable holidays you've spent away from home. Our phone number is 877-333-RICK, and you can email us at radio at ricksteves.com. Happy Christmas. It's Travel with Rick Steves. It's holiday season, and even in Antarctica, they're celebrating Christmas. Fenn Montaigne, author of Fraser's Penguins, was at Palmer Station for Christmas, and he joins us. Fenn, what's it like in a scientific station in Antarctica for Christmas? What do you do down there on Christmas? Well, uh, they celebrate Christmas uh, just like uh, we do up here in the U.S. The nice thing about being in Antarctica is you always have a white Christmas. Another nice thing that I loved is that it was light about 22 hours a day, which uh, meant the celebration could go on and on. But the station has 40 people. It's uh, supplied by boat alone. 
We had turkeys. We had stuffing. We had wine. And I and a group of about 10 or 12 other people at the station practiced for weeks uh, to sing uh, Christmas carols. So we had some caroling. And um, hmm. as at most Antarctic stations after the feast, uh, there was partying and uh, imbibing uh, well into uh, the day after Christmas. What would you guess is the population of Antarctica at Christmas time? It's certainly probably, given that's the peak of the whole research season, oh boy, maybe 10,000 perhaps across a whole continent that's one and a half times the size of the U.S., including Alaska. The biggest station is the U.S.'s station in McMurdo Sound. Uh, the Brits have some big stations, so do the New Zealanders, the Russians, the Australians. So it's a um, population of, of some thousands of uh, researchers and support staff spread over an enormous territory. And that's peak season when you've got, uh, like, daylight almost all the time. I suppose the dead of winter would be, what, July and August, where the population July and August, and then you're really talking about hundreds. Many of the stations are abandoned in winter, and you've primarily got the stations at the South Pole, the Scott Amundsen station that, that the U.S. Uh, mm-hmm. occupies. So uh, it's literally down into the hundreds in the Antarctic winter. And uh, when New Year's rolls around, how do you know what time is uh, actually midnight? Well, the station goes by U.S. time. And uh, at least I think it does. I've got to remember, it's, either, it's close to U.S. East Coast time. They also are very close to the time of uh, the southern tip of South America in Tierra del Fuego with Chile and Argentina, which is within an hour or two of U.S. East Coast time. So it's very clear when the the New Year is rung in. And again, um, uh, one of the real treats, I forgot to add, of the uh, Antarctic uh, Christmas and New Year's is that you can enjoy your bourbon or your scotch or your gin over glacial ice that is thousands, tens of thousands of years old. It's this beautiful, clear ice that we go out, we pick it up in boats, uh, bring it back to the station and uh, chop it up. And I don't think I've ever had a more tasty sip of bourbon than the one I had over uh, Antarctic glacial ice. One of the hidden joys of the holiday seasons in Antarctica. Fen Montaigne, author of Fraser's Penguins, thanks for checking in with us this holiday season. It was my pleasure, and uh, happy holidays to you. You don't have to go to the ends of the earth to have an unusual Christmas. Tell us about the out-of-the-ordinary holidays you've had overseas. What made it special? We're at 877-333-7425, and you can post your travel reports to our online feedback forum. It's in the radio section of ricksteves.com. Melanie's on the line in Centerville, Utah. Melanie, thanks for your call. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Now, you celebrated Christmas in Mexico? Yes. A couple years ago, my parents decided to do a service project. So that was our Christmas present. We went to Mexico, and we went to a village and built a school. Wait a minute. Your present was your parents gave you a trip to go to Mexico and work? Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but but we loved it because it was really no, the I'm spirit ki- of I'm Christmas. No, I'm kidding. That's and... <laughs> a great idea. Yes. Okay. So, and then what happened? Well, we actually, my dad thought ahead. And so we, we left a couple days early before the group that we were meeting went down there. And so we spent a couple days in Mexico City, an actual Christmas day in Mexico City. And we got to drive around the square and see all the Christmas decorations that they had and the celebrations. It was really so how do they how do they celebrate amazing. Christmas in Mexico City? Um, they have decorations everywhere, and everybody goes to mass. Does it feel like a, a religious festival or a New Year's Eve kind of festival? Christmas Day was definitely more religious. There was a lot less street partying going on because we were in the village the week between Christmas and New Year's, and we actually got to go to a New Year's party as well. <laughs> okay, and how 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 was that? Oh, that was amazing. They had a an ABBA cover band, which was hysterical. <laughs> in Spanish? Yes. <laughs> Singing ABBA songs in Spanish? Uh-huh. Okay. And English. And English, right. And then um, we had the grapes in the cup that each one, uh, we had to make a wish when we ate each one. And they had seeds, and none of us knew it, and that was funny. Now, wait, and... t- tell us about the grapes. At midnight, you, you eat the grapes, or what's the deal? Yeah, and I, I think there's 12 grapes. If I remember correctly, there's 12 grapes, and each one represents a month. And so you're supposed to make a wish on each one as you eat them as the 
the clock strike. Oh, with the 12, uh, striking 12 at the top of the hour. Okay. Exactly, yes. And you had and, a mouthful of seeds. Yeah, <laughs> all of us. So like, your oh, wish was what? to survive into the new year with a mouthful of seeds. <laughs> Something like that. And they had these giant puppets that were paper mache masks with long streamers, and they were carrying them around the crowd who was dancing to this Spanish ABBA music, and it was a lot of fun. <laughs> now, you were going with a church group down to Mexico. Um, it was actually not a church group, but it was a, a humanitarian group. It's called Choice Humanitarian, but there's lots that people could do. And you were actually going down to do some work. What kind of work did you do? Um, we built a school, but we also we stayed in tents um, in the village. And then during the day, we would work on the school, but then we'd also go to individual families, and we learned how to make cheese, and we learned how to make tortillas and wash our clothes on a rock and <laughs> wow. um, husk the corn and all that stuff. So it was, so it was really great. So your parents gave you this experience for Christmas. Yeah, and, and none oh, of us have forgotten it. <laughs> you know, think of, I, I can't remember uh, other gifts that I got for this Christmas or that Christmas over the past, but you'd certainly remember that gift for the rest of your life. Oh, absolutely. And we all still talk about it and share experiences. And we that was literally our present. We didn't get any presents for Christmas Day, and that was a little strange. But, but at the end of it, we wouldn't have traded it for any presents. <laughs> That's a beautiful story. And uh, celebrating Christmas in a different culture in, in Mexico, tell me more about how that felt. Um, well, we're really um, family-oriented anyway, so we kind of... Um, it was really nice to be there with our family. It was my immediate family, and it's a beautiful time of year. And for us, we're also religious, and since it's a religious holiday there, and then just to be in a different culture, it was it brought us closer to the world in that sense, I suppose. Did you get a sense, of course, there's commercialism for Christmas south of the border as well, but what sort of a sense did you get in Mexico about the, the family and the traditional aspect of Christmas, and, and what kind of relative richness might there be there? Um, I think it was much more family-oriented, perhaps. There there wasn't as much of the gaudy Christmas decorations that we might have here. It was all, there were nativities, and they were beautiful, but they were also quite simple in, in our terms. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were everywhere, but it was, I don't know, I would say more simple, but also more loving. Now, my, my experience is you have that simplicity and that nice sort of loving intimacy, but you also have dangerous firecrackers. Well, that's true. Actually, the last day in the village, they uh, threw a little fiesta for us, which was a lot of fun. But they had um, a giant piñata, and they had boys, teenage boys, on the top of buildings, the school building and a church building. And <laughs> they were holding the ropes that were swinging the piñata, and there were kids with this giant um, steel bar swinging at the piñata, and the second it would crack and candy would fall out, kids would go running in, and all of the Americans, of course, were, you know, oh, my goodness, stop them, stop them. <laughs> but the Mexicans, their attitude was, well, if they get hurt, they learn. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess so. Melanie from Utah, thank you for sharing a little bit of uh, your experience with your family south of the border. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. And Dale's on the line in Big Rapids, Michigan. Dale, thanks for your call. Hi, well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, tell us about your Christmas uh, away from home. Well, it was actually uh, between semester breaks, and the first thing, I guess, is either number one, I was going to go skiing, but maybe the number two thing, I had, I had heard so much about the Chris Kindle markets, and uh, I did go to the Nuremberg market, but I think the one that really struck me the most as being the one I liked, liked the best was my first night in Wurzburg, Germany. This is interesting because, of course, people go to Germany for those Christkindl markets, the, the Christmas markets, and Nuremberg is famous for what most people say has the best Christmas market. You saw them both, and you enjoyed Würzburg more. Uh, tell us why. Well, I think just because it was just smaller. Um, mm-hmm. I, had, I had gotten to Nuremberg before the crowds got there, and about noon everybody was there, and it was literally shoulder-to-shoulder people. In Nuremberg? Yes, uh-huh. Yeah, and it's Wussberg a big deal. And was much smaller. Um, I think also the reason why I like Wussberg, 
Right, right when I arrived, um, being a music teacher, I ran into this little impromptu concert of a brass ensemble. Of course, I enjoyed that tremendously. And then uh, the smells of the nuts roasting, the glue vine, it was just fantastic in Voosburg. Uh, that evening, I went back. I happened across the church. I don't remember the name of it, but there was a little brass ensemble performing there, too. And they were doing some Bach. And knowing the importance of uh, Bach chorales, I heard this little, she was a really old lady, and she was singing the tune. And, and most of these Bach chorales are based upon tunes that everybody knows. And so after the concert, I walked up to her, and I told her in my best German, or what I thought was German, she sang very, very well. And I'll never forget, she looked at me, and she said, I... And so I'll never forget that. I? Like me sing very well? Yes, uh, exactly, sir. Now, Dale, when you were in uh, Nuremberg or Würzburg, did you ever run across the actual Christkind? No, no, I did not. And do you know the story about the Christkind? I don't think I do. This Christkind market, the whole idea is um, way back in the Reformation times, Martin Luther in Germany thought uh, they wanted to take the uh, gift-giving focus away from St. Nick. And in good Protestant style, he said, let's focus it on the baby Jesus. But the way I understand it, in, in the little kids in Germany couldn't get their brains around baby Jesus giving gifts. So that sort of gift-giving person morphed from baby Jesus into an angel, and it became a, a female angel. And today, there's a girl in Nuremberg that's sort of crowned every couple of years as the Christkind, the Christ child, but it's always a teenage girl. And she just is very angelic, and the children are just mesmerized by the sight of her. And she's like a rock star holiday time and goes really? around the town. And I remember I was there at Nuremberg, and we went to a, a gathering where all the kids were together. And she sort of held court. And I'll never forget, she said, if you're very gentle, you can touch my wings. And the kids oh, just wow. went crazy. Tell me, I tell can me, imagine. Tell me more about your food memories of your Christmas in Germany. You've got the glue vine. You've got the... Uh, uh, the chestnuts roasting, you got the gingerbread, uh, you got these beautiful sausages. What do you remember? Uh, those are things that I certainly remember. I was reading my journal this, this morning, and at Nuremberg I had all of that. And one thing that really comes to mind, I didn't see it in the Christmas markets, but my last stop was at Rothenburg, and I, and I discovered the Schneeball. Oh, the Schneeball. Now, did you like the Schneeball? I absolutely loved it. It's sort of a leftover dough ball they put together, and mm -hmm. it's, it's like a big round uh, donut, isn't it? So. Right. It kind of reminds me of what my mother would do with leftover pie dough, but they just kept rolling it up into a ball. And I had eaten so many, I thought it was going to become one. Oh, right. Rotenberg. Well, that's quite a popular thing, but my favorite memory is those little tiny sausages. They're about the size of your little finger. And uh, they bring them out, at, especially at Christmas time. They've got these outdoor stands that sell them three little sausages in a beautiful bun with great German mustard. I love it. Well, Dale, I certainly ate my way through the Christmas markets. Dale, did you ever go skiing then on your trip? Yes, yes. I ended up in Steuben, and I, I can't remember the name of the hotel hotel, but it was about $50, $60 a night. It included that, and it included three meals a day, and then the evening meal was like a four- or five-course gourmet meal. Really? And, now, it was, and it was just fantastic. Now, Steuben is in Austria, isn't it? That's a little less yes, expensive uh -huh. than Germany. And was that then your base for, did you just rent some skis there and enjoy skiing? Yes, uh, I rented some skis. It was just around the corner. Um, I had done a lot of research before I went, and this was my second trip to Europe, and uh, I had read that it was going to be easy to rent skis, and it actually was. It really, really was, and I'd love to go back because that mountain really, really uh, did, did me, and that was kind of in the early, early stages of my skiing career. <laughs> so I, I really want to go back and tackle that mountain again. All right. Dale in Big Rapids, Michigan, thanks for your call. Thank you so much, Rick. Thank Merry you. Christmas. Bye. Merry Christmas to you. And Chuck's on the line in Spring Hill, Florida. Chuck, thanks for your call. Hi, Mr. Rick Steves. And how are you doing this holiday season? Doing wonderfully. Tell me about how you uh, enjoy uh, your European experiences with Christmas. Well, my Aunt Ava, who lives in Passau, Austria, slash Germany, it's right there on the border, and uh, we spent a Christmas evening with her, and uh, she had a very unique evening planned with her. We, we had a little dinner just before Mass, and before going to church, we stopped by the family uh, cemetery, 
and I was surprised at how many people were in the cemetery. And what they were doing was this. I'm, I'm actually looking at a picture that I took as we were there, and all the gravestones have little red candles that are lit, and there are pictures of the, of the family members along with the family members now. They're just kind of just remembering or having a, a little Christmas Eve celebration, remembering a family in past Christmases. So the dearly departed are still there with the Christmas celebration in Passau, Bavaria. That's correct. And I was just amazed at how many people were there. And then as we were leaving, I say to my Aunt Ava, I said, don't you worry about uh, vandalism or something like that? And her look was like, like horrified, like, oh, no. She said, they would, the family and the vandals would be shunned. You mean if somebody vandalized the, the tombs with the photographs and the candles? Exactly. Right. And it's, it was just a very small village. It was only yeah. maybe two or three. You know, uh, I, I had a spots. similar experience, uh, Chuck, in Norway. And all my life I've never seen candles uh, at Christmas in graveyards. But in, in Scandinavia, uh, apparently they do the same thing. They'll light candles to remember their, uh, you know, departed relatives and loved ones. And, and they bring them all together at the church in the village uh, each Christmas Eve. And it's absolutely beautiful, too, because some of them are singing. Yeah. Of course, in, in, in their uh, Austrian, Germany, Deutsche tongue. And uh, it was hard to pick it up because uh, it's kind of like in America. You have the southern twang and you have the northern and western. And I was trying to pick up from it from my, my Austrian of the little I have. And it was just unbelievable that it was just bunches of families. Mm-hmm. And, and the other neat thing was we all streamed to church. We were all going together to the church for Midnight Mass. And, and Passau is famous for the size of its church organ. It's an incredible organ. Exactly. I believe it's the largest church organ in the world. If you're an organ enthusiast, it's worth checking out Passau. On the Danube, sort of between Munich and Vienna, it's just a gorgeous city where two rivers come together, where the Inns and the Danube River come together, right on the peninsula there, Passau, P-A-S-S-A-U, and a delightful time any time of year. Absolutely, but Christmas time is absolutely magical. All right. All right, Chuck, Chris got to you this, this Christmas time. And to you, too. Okay, bye now. Bye-bye. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Good tidings we bring to you and your kid. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy Travel with Rick Steves is produced by Tim Tatton with Sarah McCormick at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. Our technical team includes Andrew Wakeling, Chris Luzik, and Kate Mulhern-Graham, and our friends at the Radio Foundation in New York. Our theme music is by Jerry Frank. You can listen again in the radio section of ricksteves.com. We wish you a happy and peaceful Christmas, and we'll look for you next week with more Travel with Rick Steves. Oh, 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 oh. Dolly Shawen Blantos. <laughs>